Coming up on Philosophy Talk, the occult philosophy. A blend of metaphysics, magic, and theology. Perhaps I've been wrong to blindly follow the medical traditions and superstitions of the past centuries. In Elizabethan times, many of the best minds in Europe believed in the occult. Maybe we barbers should test those assumptions analytically through experimentation and a scientific method. The study of the occult helped give birth to modern science. Perhaps this scientific method could be extended to other fields of learning, the natural sciences, art, navigation. From astrology to astronomy, from alchemy to chemistry, from witchcraft to medicine. Perhaps I could lead the way to a new age, an age of rebirth. A renaissance! What does belief in the occult signify in the 21st century? Our guest is Christopher Lyric from Boston University. Say, who's the barber here? The occult philosophy. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, the occult philosophy. Well, Ken, these days we think of believers in the occult as soft-minded, superstitious, new age hippie types. People who would rather commune with imaginary mystical forces than face cold, hard scientific facts. You know, that's right, John, but it wasn't always so. During the Renaissance, for example, things like alchemy, astrology, white magic, hermeticism, Kabbalah, numerology, these things were intensely studied and by some of the best minds in Europe. High literature from the period is even rife with references to the occult. The works of Shakespeare are a prime example. So what you're saying is the occult was once culturally dominant in parts of Europe. And although today it's culturally marginalized as anti-scientific gobbledygook, Many historians of science, as I understand you, believe the study of the occult played a crucial role in the development of modern science itself. So alchemy begat chemistry and astrology begat astronomy. But how, how so? How could that happen? Well, think about the meaning of the word occult. Well, according to my dictionary, it means of, relating to, or dealing with supernatural influences, agencies, or phenomena. That's very different from the stuff that science deals with, the opposite of what science deals with. Yeah, but occult has another meaning, Ken, an older meaning. Secret, concealed, or hidden from view, as in occult causes. You're right. That's an old-fashioned meaning of the word. You find it used that way a lot in 16th and 17th century philosophy texts. Hume talks about occult causes, for example. But I, I don't think many people use the word occult to mean secret or hidden very much today. Yeah, but they did then, and to the extent that Renaissance students of the occult were trying to discover and manipulate the hidden causes of everything in the universe, their goals were quite in line with modern science. Yeah, but their methods were weird, John. It was a witch's brew of religious mysticism, metaphysical speculation of all kinds, and, and, and magic. So basically, Renaissance thinkers, or at least a lot of them, thought that hidden occult causes in the respectable sense were also weird supernatural occult causes. Right. And you know, there's another thing. Occult also means for the adept only secret knowledge in that sense, not just secret causes, but secret knowledge, and only the adept could learn because you had to be worthy. So, you know, although occult science and philosophy of the Renaissance may have been the forerunners of modern science, they weren't very scientific by today's standards. Modern science has no truck with all that super natural stuff and hidden secret causes and secret knowledge only for a few? Well, I don't know. I think quantum 
physics is kind of a cult secret, and uh, I'm certainly not one of the few that can understand it. But setting that aside, eventually science superseded occult practices and drove them into the shadows. And it wasn't just science that drove them in the shadows. There was an intense religious backlash against the occult, especially, as I understand it, after the Protestant Reformation. The occult philosophy drew liberally not just from Christian theology, but from all pagan sources, Egyptian stuff, Greek stuff, and Eastern beliefs. I guess it was a highly unorthodox mix and probably threatening to both the Protestant and the Catholic Church. The occult became identified with dark and sinister forces. Its practitioners were subject to intense religious persecution. They were often tortured and executed. Some historians even refer to the numerous witch-hunting crazes of the period as kind of a mini-holocaust. You know, John, despite the dismissive attitude of people who may be overawed by science, some apparently sane people still believe in the occult. And thankfully for them and for us, we don't burn people at the stake anymore for practicing, you know, a little witchcraft. So where are we going with this, Ken? Well, I was just listing some of the reasons why there couldn't be a better thing for us to be doing today than asking where our ideas of the cult come from and examining how those ideas got driven from the center of Western culture to its margins. It should be a fun and fascinating hour. But since neither you, you nor I is very adept at occult practices, we should conjure ourselves up some help. And fortunately, we need only the white magic of radio to do that. And we've already got one of the world's leading experts on the occult standing by. That would be Christopher Lyric from Boston University, author of The Occult Mind, Magic and Theory and Practice. He'll join us in just a little bit. But first, a roving philosophical reporter, Angela Kildoff, found some modern-day believers in the occult. She files this report. Put a little bit of oil in this. And what's the oil for? The oil is a dressing oil. It kind mm -hmm. of wakes it up and mm -hmm. says, okay. At Ancient Ways, a pagan metaphysical store in Oakland, Marilee Bigelow is dressing a blue and yellow birthday candle for a customer. So we've talked about prosperity, right? Mm -hmm. So lots of money in there. Bigelow sprinkles confetti and glitter on the candle. Of course, the cross for protection and also sort of the crossroads, you know, saying, mm -hmm. okay, here I am and I'm ready to take that next step. So everybody needs a little luck, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I came to Ancient Ways to learn about the occult community and what I found surprised me. What I practice is leukemia. It has many names. Some call it Ipa, some call it Centuria. Officially identified within the leukemia spirituality from Nigeria. My belief system is very huge. Pretty much any positive energy, um, deity, force within this universe, I worship. You know, if it's positive, I'm for it. The occult community in the Bay Area is diverse. It draws from southern hoodoo traditions, African, Egyptian, and neo-pagan beliefs. Store owner Glenn Turner. Generally speaking, people are polytheistic. They may think of an overarching god that would be like a, a unity. But in, in specifics, just like the Catholics have saints, the specifics are that there's many sections and many gods that, that would be worked with. Turner opened the store 22 years ago and has been involved with pagan spirituality and the occult for more than 40 years. She founded a witchcraft tradition and organizes Pantheacon, an annual convention that attracts more than 2,000 neo-pagans. And that's the earth religions that would include things like condomble, uh, witchcraft, ceremonial magic. More and more people are being drawn to the occult. Wicca is a neo-pagan, nature-based religion. In a national survey of religious identity in 2008, nearly 350,000 Americans identified as Wiccan. 
1990, that figure was only 8,000. Uh, the occult means hidden. The hidden things are not known by science. So what's happened is that science has sorted out all the things we can see that we can know. That kind of leaves a smaller and smaller bundle of things that are not known. And many of those things are put aside saying, well, those are not real. So there's almost a connotation of phony or fake. Two examples she gave are ghosts and telepathy. These may turn out to be things that are scientifically viable once we get the right approach. Ancient ways stock statues, books, herbs, candles, and other magical tools, and the air is heavy with incense. There are brooms, Buddhas, and magic wands made by a witch in Santa Cruz, a hit with the Harry Potter fans. Very charming to see a mother come in with her youngster, you know, and, and he's picking out his, his wand here, and that, that was really fun to see. But for many, these are sacred objects. The truth of it is, is that a magical wand is a, a focal point. And any time you have something you can focus on, I mean, some, for some people it would be a cross sitting on an altar at their home. Other people it might be a pinnacle. Other people, they might take hold of their magical wand and use it to focus their energy for something and then mentally send it out through that like a fire hose, so to speak. What happens next is a matter of faith. My theory of how the, that would work is that what comes out of the fire hose goes out into the ether, which is a non-material, non-scientific area, but it's a way of explaining how does this go to someone to heal them? I don't know, but it works. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Angela Kilduff. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.